This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. What's up? Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roll Pod, an Alabama sports podcast from Bama 247. I'm Cody Goodwin, back from Florida, where we watched a miserable, lousy, lackluster, I believe John Talty, senior writer from 247 Sports, who's here with me on today's show, called it a not good, very bad 17-3 win for Alabama over a South Florida team that is knee-deep into a rebuild. Um, John... I don't know exactly where we should start this reaction podcast. So where do you think we should start when it comes to assessing Alabama's performance and what it means moving forward, knowing that the SEC schedule kicks off next week? Like there's there's a lot that we could dive into here, and I'm not exactly sure where we should start, but there, there's a lot of fruit to pick from this tree from what we saw on Saturday. Yeah, well, I mean, let's start with just the obvious right here, that if Alabama – plays the way that they did on Saturday against South Florida moving forward in the SEC play, they're going to have multiple losses. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation, in my opinion. I mean, this is a team that had its hands full all game against a program that went one and 11 last year. That was a 33 or 34 point underdog based on the gambling book that you use. And, you know, I remember talking to their AD ahead of the game and he kept saying how much of a tremendous honor it was to have Alabama come to Tampa. Like it's almost like they're welcoming like a King, you know, like it wasn't like, yeah, we think we're going to knock them off. It was just like, this is so great that we get to have Alabama play in our stadium that we get to, our fans get to see like the legendary Alabama and what their fans saw was not a very good version of this Alabama team. So I think moving forward, Obviously, we'll get into this a little bit, and then I'm sure in our podcast, you know, later in the week, we'll get into even more of this Ole Miss game and what it means and all that. But, you know, it's it's kind of time to to wake up, and if, you know, if there's opportunities to make improvements and adjustments, like, it's got to happen fast. And if this is what this team is, then it's going to be a roller coaster ride um, because this is – that was one of the – not to be overly, you know, negative here, but that was – probably one of the most lackluster performances that I can remember from a Mal- from an Alabama team, especially against what was clearly an overmatched opponent. You mentioned the 30 plus point, you know, that that was the line that Alabama was favored by on the road against a team that coming into this game, five and 30 in its last 35 games, they were one and one this season had a win over FCS, uh, Florida A&M, 
Um, you know, you could argue because they forced five turnovers, they took a loss, um, you know, pretty sizable loss to Western Kentucky to start the season. Um, and Alabama really, you know, there was, there was an hour long rain delay, whatever, had a quarterback change. Maybe that throws a wrench into things, but this was just a game that was just ugly. Like this, we were cracking jokes in the press box, Rodak and I about how, you know, I thought I left Big Ten country behind. Like it was that, it was that rough, right? There were a couple of turnovers and miscues that ultimately led to, I mean, South Florida had a 3-0 lead. We were having to look up, you know, when was the last time Alabama was shut out in the first half? Because, you know, up until they kicked a field goal to tie it 3-3 at half, um, there was next to no hope for this offense. Like it just, it didn't look good. It didn't feel good. Watching it was just a miserable experience. Um, it was tough. It was really tough. They ultimately pulled it out, obviously, 17 to three. They're two and one now on the season. Um, for the first time in, you know, what, six years, they're out of the AP top 10. Um, I think, you know, one of the two major takeaways I took from this game and the instant reaction that I wrote was that one, um, didn't even look like a top 25 team, let alone one that is now ranked, I believe, what, 12th, 13th, somewhere in that ballpark. They're outside the top 10 now. Um, but I, the other one was that, you know, maybe. Maybe this is where we start. The team that took the field, the Alabama team that took the field, that team ain't going to win a national championship this year. Um, I think everybody was pleased with the week one win over Middle Tennessee because they came out and they curb stomped an inferior opponent. I think people, in hindsight, and maybe they start to see it a little bit now, but week two lost to Texas, a couple of costly mistakes, but Alabama was very much in the thick of that game, had a 16-13 lead going into the fourth quarter. I think people are going to look back on that Texas team when we get to the end of the season and say, wow, that was a very, very good Texas team. I'm not sure, you know, are there plays that Alabama probably wants back from that game? Yes. But in the long run, I don't know that that's going to look like such a terrible loss, even though it was at home and it was by multiple possessions. That We didn't see that version of Alabama on Saturday. And the version we did see is not a team that's going to contend for an SEC championship. It's not a team that's going to contend for a national championship, which makes me wonder if that's the team we're going to continue to see. Is it time to adjust expectations? And if you do that, I think that allows you to see the game in a little bit of a different light. You and I were talking before we hit record here about, you know, if we want to keep the championship expectations on them, um, you know, is it time to hit the panic mode? And if we decide to take the championship lens off of this team, um, like you said, roller coaster could be an up and down year. That's my spiel. I what's your what do you what do you got from there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think expectations are you know that's one of the big challenges. And I think at Alabama under Nick Saban, the expectations are championship or bust every year, right? And so they last won one in 2020. They came awfully close to winning one in 2021. I think a lot of people expected them to win one in 2022, and they came up short. And so. There was some pressure, I think, heading into the season to can can they get back on top? Can they make the playoff? Can they you know prove that they are still uh, you know the kings of college football? And we we heard that from players too. You know they were upset about hearing the talk of them falling in stature. Uh, Georgia really kind of taken that crown. So if that's the expectations and that's the hope, you know you might be disappointed just based on what we've seen so far. I think it's going to be a really hard journey through this SEC schedule. I think they can still win most, if not all of those games. Just again, the talent level is high enough that they should, if they maximize their potential, but 
there was enough of a resume at this point, I would say, to not take any of those games for granted. Uh, certainly not full Miss coming into town. That's going to be, I think, a challenging game. And I just, you know, I think that there are positives that you can take away from this game. It's not 100% negative. I think defense is very good. I think that, you know, the defense can probably keep them in, in some games. Um, I think that uh, Roy Dell played really well. I think it seems like he should probably be the guy moving forward at running back, just the way that he was running so hard and uh, just hitting the holes hard. You know, I feel like Jace can dance around a little bit and I feel like Roy Dell was really a revelation um, at the end of that game. And so, you know, the quarterback position is always going to be a big question. Um, honestly, I mean, this is in part just based on, you know, me and, you know, I'm not trying to do a crossover episode here, but, you know, I'm a Jets fan and having watched the Jets, you know, against the Bills. My, the- my condolences, by the way. Yeah. But like what, like I see some similarities, like very good defense, some good running backs, offensive line, a, a question for sure. They're, they can do some things, but they are going to give up big sacks otherwise. And just a big question about what your quarterback can do. And do you trust him? Because I think that's, I think that's a big question right now is that, who is it going to be? And then do you trust him? And can you build what we were saying before we started? Can you build an offense around that guy, whoever it's going to be? And I think what, what I liked, uh, I think what I liked somewhat of what we saw Saturday is that I think there's more clarity as to what the path is with all of those different guys. I think, I think you can see what it would look like with Ty and what you need to do. I think you can see clearly what it would be of Jalen and what you have to do there. And, you know, I think to me, you saw enough from Tyler Buckner to say it's probably not him. Now, some of that was unfair, the weather and all that. But to me, I think Jalen and Ty are at clearly a level above Tyler at this point. So that's going to be a big question mark that they're going to have to figure out, too. And, you know, we could talk about quarterbacks all day, but that's you know, obviously it will be an important decision for for Nick Saban and Tommy Reese to figure out and uh, to build up to this whole miss game. Yeah. And I think I, maybe we, we, we should start there. Just the, the quarterback discussion, what we saw um, on Saturday, what, what we think we'll probably see moving forward. I thought for the most part um, watching it live on Saturday, that the quarterback play that we saw from Buckner, he got five drives, um, just five wholly fruitless, unproductive drives. Like, let's be real. And then Ty Simpson got the remaining seven drives and he a little bit of a slow start, a little bit up and down, but I thought he did some pretty good things, right? He missed his first four passes. He hit on his next five. Um, he was the beneficiary of Boydell Williams, a sensational run game. He finished with 129 rushing yards and a touchdown. That's a cry for him. Second time ever in his career that he surpassed hundred rushing yards. Um, so Ty Simpson was able to do still able to do a lot of good things. I thought he also got sacked five times. That's another discussion that we'll get to on this show, but, but the quarterbacks, I thought for the most part, watching it live, pretty strong case that Jalen Milrow probably should be QB one moving forward. That said, the idea that they need to make a decision so that they can commit the rest of the offense and commit the offensive identity to a guy, um, I think whether it's Milrow or Simpson, because I think Simpson's one of those guys, what made him so interesting was that over the last two years before Saturday, he had played a grand total of 38 snaps. Like we just didn't know what it was. He got 40 snaps on Saturday. And I thought he got better with each one, you know, sacks happened. He had a good run game going. He really only threw nine times, but 
He looked competent. He looked confident as he continued to go. He took some gnarly hits. You got to clean that up. Um, but I think that the good news is if those are your two guys, one, a one B or number one, number two, um, you can design an offense where I think both of them can thrive because they have similar skill sets. Jalen Milrow might be a lot faster, but Ty Simpson seems to be a guy that like he can make the throws you need him to. He's mobile. Um, I hate to use the phrase deceptively fast, but like the guy can tuck it and run a little bit if he needs to. And I've been saying that for a while. I think he's an underrated athlete. You know, I think it's, we compare him to Jalen, which he's not, but uh, to your point, I think he showed some things that he can get out there and move if he has to. Yeah. So I, you know, so then the question then becomes, okay, if they're similar enough that whatever the offense looks like moving forward needs to be tailored to their strengths. Um, what does that look like? I think that means, some uh, maybe a little bit of RPO action. I think that means maybe some quarterback design runs just to keep the defense honest a little bit, because we've seen the last couple of weeks that like, you know, and even Saban said this, this is maybe another lingering offensive line issue, but like, you know, defenses have seemed to have figured out when Alabama is going to run the ball and they just run blitz and it's just created issues. Um, when the quarterback is part of the rushing attack, keeps them a little bit honest, right? So then that's able to open up the play action a little bit. We saw Ty Simpson hit CJ Dupre for a 45-yard gain right down the middle. We know Jalen Milrose worked on his deep ball. It's maybe the strongest aspect of his passing game to this point in the season. Um, you know, okay, so get the tight end involved because, you know, they weren't hardly involved at all yesterday outside of Dupre's couple of catches, um, you know, or a couple of targets. I know he had the one big one, but then Robbie Utz had a catch later along in that drive. Amari Nyblack's a guy who's been pretty – I mean, he's been great when they involve him. He really wasn't involved all that much yesterday. Um, and then, obviously, like, I, they, they can run the ball well. Like, we saw it with Roy Dell. I know it was in the fourth quarter when the offensive line was finally overpowering a weaker team. Um, but, like, Chase McClellan's got multiple runs of 10-plus yards this season, um, usually at the beginning of drives. But, like, that's a guy who's capable. Um, you know, it seems like those are going to be the two running backs that are going to get most of the touches this year. But, you know – I think whatever the offense looks like, I, I think now that they've seen through the first three weeks what each guy can do and, you know, where the levels of confidence are in each guy, maybe we'll learn more about that this week. But there's an offense to be crafted around these guys and their strengths. And the good news is their strengths are fairly similar. So whatever the offense looks like moving forward, I think both of those guys, whoever gets chosen as QB1 moving forward, should be able to thrive if they do it right, right? Well, I mean, thrive is... Thrive's a strong word. I don't, play I don't well. Play well. Yeah. Play better, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that the questions, and there's just, you can dissect it a lot of different ways, but I think the questions that I have moving forward is not solely, and I think we, we put a lot of the the blame or, you know, credit on quarterbacks, and Nick Saban's talked about this too. But, I mean, I, I think there's clear questions about the play, make, the play calling at this point. Um, you were hitting on some of that there. I mean, just, just, and I was, you know, texting with some former players last night, and they're just kind of like, I just don't understand whether it's Texas game or South Florida game, like why they're not doing more things, whether it's quick slants, just like they're not doing more to get a, the guy in rhythm. They're not, it just feels like we're just trying to do the same thing over and over again and it's not working. And I think that's a legitimate question. Um, and then, you know, I think the offensive line uh, was not good. Uh, I think that's probably two games that they have not been good. Um I wonder what, you know, I think missing Tower Booker obviously was was a factor there. Uh, we'll see whether he's able to go um, against Ole Miss. Um, I do wonder at some point, just based on what we've seen, like 
whether there's a consideration about flipping Proctor and, and JC Latham. Um, I mean, it just felt like Proctor can maybe get there one day, but he's, it just feels like the game's too fast for him. And, and, and maybe he's a little too big. I mean, I think we kind of talked about this, I think after the Texas game where I wondered like, are these guys just a little too big that it's creating issues and watching South Florida? I mean, that's kind of how I felt. I just felt like these guys are so big, but they're slow. And, against these smaller edge rushers they're they're having problems so that's another thing that i think needs to be figured out but it is kind of funny though like i feel like we've talked a lot on this show and nick saban himself has compared this team to 2015 and the loss that they had to Ole Miss early in the game and so it's interesting to me that a they're playing Ole Miss this week but b the tyler buckner experience on saturday felt very reminiscent to when Cooper Bateman started over Jake Coker, where they tried him out. It was like, nope, that didn't work. Uh, and then and then Coker was just the guy moving forward. And so I think sometimes the value is you learn what it's not going to be. And I think I've always been on the team that I think Simpson gives you the highest ceiling and, and Milrow gives you the highest floor. I still believe that based on what I've seen. I think that Simpson might be a little riskier than Jalen, but I just, I think he's ultimately potentially a better passer. And I think you can do more there, but you know, that offensive line that we saw against South Florida is what we're getting moving forward. You know, maybe give or take a little bit each game, sometimes a little better, sometimes a little worse. I'd feel a little worried about putting Ty back there just because I just, Milrow can at least save as an escape valve at times. Ty, I mean, it, Teams are just going to lock in on him and just try to rock him the way he got rocked a couple times against South Florida. And unless Proctor takes a big step forward, that's going to be an ongoing issue. So there's just a lot of questions, I think, there. Um, you know, when we come out of this non-conference slate, I think they're, I think we know that this team isn't as good as we thought it was going to be at the start of the season. But I think there's still a lot of questions that we have. And the fact that we're entering into – the first game of the SEC schedule, not knowing who the starting quarterback is going to be, I think is something that we talked a lot about over the offseason. Like you really need to know who your starter is by Ole Miss. And that hasn't happened. And so that's, that's a real, real question moving forward. Yeah. I think there's, I think there's a case for, for Jalen Milrow. Um, you know, it, with, with him behind center, they put up 42 points against middle Tennessee. They put up 24 against Texas. He's got a deep ball. He's got his own speed, his own foot speed. Um, there's also the turnovers. Um, I think there's a case for Ty Simpson. He got better against an inferior opponent as the game wore on a little bit. He the, That was the most snaps he's gotten as a collegiate quarterback. Um, you know, he got sacked five times. That's an offensive line issue. We'll get to there in just a second. Um, you know, he missed his first four throws, um, but then he settled in and he was able to hit his next five. Um, he also has running capability. He also did not turn the ball over. I think that's something that's important that neither Buckner nor Simpson for as rough as the offensive performance was yesterday, no turnovers from the offense. Thumbs up. I mean, and I think I saw some people joking about it on Twitter, but it, it is worth noting as you are that there are numerous times when Simpson was getting rocked that he could have fumbled that ball and coughed it up. And he didn't. And that's, that's, you know, that says something about him and, I think that there is something to be said too about taking the sack for throwing the interception. And I think that that's something that, you know, you don't like seeing your guy get rocked like that, but I think that that's both of those guys showed 
better decision making. And I think that's going to be part of the calculus, the, the risk reward, right? Like this guy's not as likely to make mistakes, but he gives me less of this or this guy gives me more of this and but not that. And so um, just I don't know, it's just it's such a fascinating thing because you could talk yourself into different options, you know. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, and speaking of talking into different option, options, I think the 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 part of this puzzle of trying to figure out what the best version of this offense looks like, whether it's Milrow or Simpson, is trying to figure out what the hell's going on with this offensive line. This is, I I'll be honest, I'm sick and tired about writing how bad these guys are. Like, because that's you know we wrote about how good they were supposed to be during the preseason, right? They wanted to be physically imposing, they wanted to be dominant, they wanted to make people quit, they wanted to win the Joe Moore Award. And all we've seen through the first three weeks is they've given up 12 total sacks. Uh, for the first time in the Nick Saban era, they've given up five sacks in back-to-back weeks. That's not good. Um, they're on pace to give up 48 sacks in the regular season. That would be the most in a single season that they've allowed under Saban. That's not good. Um, no, it is a not. A lot of it, it's not good. A lot of it comes down, like a lot of it is on Caden Proctor. He's not had a good couple of weeks. Um, you know, I think Texas, the Texas game could be excused because again, that's a very, very good defensive front. This one, Buddy gave up at least two sacks. I haven't done the rewatch as we're recording this, but he gave up two sacks to Daquan Evans, who had himself a career day with three sacks. He had three of South Florida's five sacks, by the way, South Florida, five sacks against Alabama's offensive line. They had four total sacks coming into the season against Western Kentucky and Florida A&M. And then they get five on Alabama. I wrote a whole story about how this is a problem. Saban called it a consistent problem. But anyway, Daquan Evans, five foot 11, 190 pounds, running in and out and in between and running circles around big, bad Caden Proctor. Love the kid. Watched him develop into a five-star prospect. I think he's going to be a good player. He is not playing good right now. So here's a couple of thoughts. You could just make the switch, like you put Latham at left tackle so you can protect the blind side, put Proctor over at right tackle, see if that works. You know, so if Booker comes back, do you put him back on the right side? That's one thing that Saban said maybe would have caused some issues yesterday because he discovered during the preseason, right, that putting Booker next to Proctor tends to help with Proctor's confidence a little bit because Book's there to kind of help him with the calls. Um, You know, do you you try Elijah Pritchett here? Because the thought there is that, you know, love you, KP. I don't know that Pritchett could be much worse than what we've seen the last couple weeks. So give it a shot. If it works, Proctor could still be in line for a red shirt. 
And think of how useful three games, including one against a team that we think could probably make the playoff, could be useful when it comes to developing for the rest of the year. And you still have four quarters to play with if you want to sub him in and get get him some time. But, you know, do, do you try Pritchett? Do you push Latham over to the left side and plug Pritchett into the right side? Um, you know, the interior, I thought, has also been beat up quite a bit the last two weeks. I know against Texas, they've had to deal with Tavondre Sweat, who's, you know, as Eli Gold referred him to as the Great Wall of China. He's that big. But, like, they, I don't, they weren't that much better yesterday just on first watch. I'll look again on the rewatch. But, like, South Florida was doing a bunch of stunts and blitzes and different types of games and stuff, and it was confusing the interior of the line. So, you know, Ferguson got to play in lieu of Booker. So, you know, you could probably chalk up some of the interior offensive line struggles to book not being there. But Ferguson got in there. He played admirably. I didn't see anything noticeable where I was like, wow, that's a bad play by Ferg. Do you sub him in for Dalcourt when book comes back? I wonder if you play with that for a little bit. And I know Ole Miss is not the team that you want to play with offensive line pieces against because you want to win that game, right? You kind of need to win that game. But I think it's something they need to start considering because the, you, you can't be given up. 12 sacks every three games and expect to get to where you want to go. So part of tailoring the offense to whoever QB one ends up being means you got to fix the offensive line, or you got to call 60 plays a game where you're doing your best to basically protect both your quarterback and your offensive line. And that's a lot of rollouts. I don't think they're going to do that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I think it's, it's kind of chicken or egg, right? Is it like, do you pick your QB based on what your offensive line is, or do you adjust your offensive line based on who your QB is? Um, I think there's different paths there based on the personnel. Um, you know, it's funny. I was, so I was watching that game last night. Um, I kept coming, I came back to, if you've ever seen Jurassic Park, you know, there's been so much made about how big this offensive line is and how their average weight and all that. And I thought back to, and I'm paraphrasing here, but the quote essentially like, they were so concerned about whether they could, not whether they should. And like, it just felt like there was this, like, let's get beefy and big and we're going to overpower guys. And, you know, I think Saban's like, you can win now by going more smash mouth and adjusting that way. And I think we're seeing a little bit now, like why a lot of other offensive lines are not this big and why they're not having a ton of 360 pound plus guys, because it, it creates issues. Like you said, you got little five eleven guy dashing and darting right past you and you just, you, your footwork, you just can't move a body that big that fast. And so that I think is one of the questions, but I mean, if you look at the offensive line and I don't, you know, I'm not here to knock a bunch of college kids, but if you look at the offensive line, I think big picture wise, Latham has been pretty good this year. Um, I haven't seen, you know, a lot of glaring issues. I mean, he hasn't been perfect for sure, but not major glaring issues. I didn't see anything on a first watch from Ferguson. That was a red flag to me. It felt like he did. Okay. But Proctor has had obvious issues and it's not just getting blown up. It's like multiple penalties and bad times. Dalcourt has had those exact same issues and Seth McLaughlin. I mean, I just expected so much more out of him. And I just don't think he's been good all year. And I don't, there's been some, some kind of scuttlebutt that he might not be a hundred percent health wise. And maybe that would explain some things that are happening um, with that group. But I mean, when, a school like South Florida feels like they can just tee off on you all day. Like that's scary. That's scary compared to what you're going to see. I mean, AM has some five-star, you know, guys that they're going to roll out there. Uh, if you somehow make it, I mean, LSU has, you know, 
I know a lot of people were upset about how LSU used Harold Perkins against Florida State, but you know, I, I have a sense that Brian Kelly will figure out a way to use Perkins uh, to torment whoever Alabama's quarterback is at that point. And then if I imagine Pete Golding was probably watching that game yesterday with great interest about, Oh, yeah. if that's what South Florida's doing, like, why can't we do that with better athletes at Ole Miss? Right. No offense to South Florida, but like, yeah, that's what they're dealing with. Yeah. And that's, I think what you're going to see, and this is, I think one of the other ongoing challenges is that like, there's lots of smart people in college and college football. And they're all, there's a, I think to me, there was a bit of a playbook clearly being built, a blueprint that Texas clearly showed some things on tape against Alabama that it seems like South Florida picked up on. And, you know, because I, I can remember, you know, Saban talking after the Texas game, just some of the things that they did that, you know, I think caused problems. As you mentioned, South Florida, a lot more stunts and different things. If I'm Pete Golding and Pete Golding for all his, his flaws that Alabama fans felt that he had is a very smart defensive mind. He's going to see that, like you said, and be, oh man, I'm, I can I can dial up some stuff here. And then Mississippi State, you know, looked very not great against LSU. Let's put it nicely, but you know, defensive minded head coach Zach Arnett, he's going to figure out some things. You got, you know, Texas A&M with DJ Drake. I mean, there's just enough smart defensive minds in the SEC that are going to see what's happening, and that's going to be on the Alabama coaching staff to either change the personnel, change the strategy, or just hope that you can coach them up and develop them between now and the end of the season. Um, if you feel like option three is your best option, I would be a little worried right now. Yeah. I, when you put consistent behavior on tape, the smartest coaches in the world are going to spam it until you stop it. And it's two weeks. So it's not, you know, once is an accident, two is a trend, three is evidence. You know, I don't I just I don't know that Ole Miss is going to be the team that they're going to solve it against. So it makes you wonder what they're going to do if they're going to do anything ahead of Ole Miss. Um, just an, again, one of those pieces to the puzzle that is trying to figure out what this offense looks like or what the best version of the offense looks like. Because, you know, we, I, we asked Saban last week, like the challenges of trying to create an offensive identity. They clearly just. I mean, back-to-back weeks, they just don't know. I mean, last week, I guess, against Texas, it was home run or strikeout ball. This week, I have no earthly idea what they were trying to accomplish. Or if South Florida was just they had a good enough game plan that, you know, whatever they tried to accomplish, South Florida blew it up, right? So uh, one final stat on the offensive – or, yeah, keep going. No, I was just going to make a quick point. I mean, like, he's bounced around some. But, you know, South Florida's defensive coordinator, Todd Orlando, and that's a guy who was previously defensive coordinator at at Texas, I think at USC. So, you know – he's obviously gotten fired and he's had to move around, but like, that's a guy who does have a like major, you know, uh, major football pedigree. So he's not, you know, he's, I'm sure he is a very smart guy as well. And was able to figure out some things and was able to at a minimum maximize the talent they had to give Alabama, you know, all that it could handle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like you said, lots of smart people in and around um, college football. Um, one final stat I didn't want to throw out. In addition to the sacks, Alabama's offensive line um, has allowed 54 pressures to opposing defenses through the first three weeks uh, per our friends at Pro Football Focus. Um, that's a lot. So 10 to Middle Tennessee, 25 to Texas, and then 19 to South Florida. Um, not the way you want to live. Not the way you want to live. Um yeah, that's kind of, you know, up and down on the offense. The defense, I thought, and you hit on this at the beginning, I it, it's all, like, 
I hate to make the comparison, and I know I said I left Big Ten football behind, but like I feel like I'm dealing with Iowa again, like an anemic offense, or at least an offense with too many questions. But the defense is very good. Like the defense was the reason that I mean, South Florida was held to three points. Obviously, they played very, very well against a quarterback that could run the ball. I mean, South Florida ended up running for 170 some rushing yards, and a lot of that was off QB scrambles that, you know, you ask the guys, that's kind of hard to deal with no matter who the quarterback is. Um, but, you know, the defense, seven points to Middle Tennessee, kept them very much in that game against Texas until Sark figured out, you know, which matchups he wanted to exploit and then hit the spam button in the fourth quarter. Um, defense, I thought, did really well. Um, this was an opportunity, I think, for the pass rush to finally, you know, get right, right? Like, I, I kind of phrased this as, as, as a get-right game. Um, you know, they didn't necessarily get – all the way right but they did a lot of good things in this game 35 total pressures um finished with what 10 tackles for loss five sacks um dallas turner had two and a half sacks um you know they were able to get after an inferior opponent and the the pass rush did their job i thought the secondary played fairly well i thought they communicated fairly well on you know south florida runs tennessee's offense right so they used that motion offense um a lot of pre-snap movement um, not necessarily the same athletes that a Texas or, you know, Tennessee last season had, but it looked like Alabama was able to handle it fairly well, um, even with all the rain, um, which is encouraging because you hope that that can then translate to when they play, you know, an Ole Miss or when they play Tennessee down the line, um, you know, now that they know that they can do it, right? Like it's in their head, like how can they, you know, make sure that Texas, the fourth quarter against Texas doesn't happen again. I thought the defense played great. Like I thought they were fine. I thought they were good. Um, yeah, the only nitpick that I can think of was it felt like they might have struggled to contain the quarterback a bit. You know, I, I'd have to pull up the exact stats, but, you know, it felt like the, their quarterback was able to do some things where it felt like, you know, uh, just sensing maybe what they had in coverage. But, yeah, overall, I mean, I think that this is the strength of the team. Um, I think that there is lots of good individual talent. I think their linebackers are really strong. Uh, you know, I don't you know, they didn't have Jaheim Otis, who, you know, we kind of thought might be their best defensive lineman um, before the season. And, and, you know, I didn't feel like there was a, a major drop in play from the defensive line, which I think it speaks to, you know, Tim Smith and other guys stepping up and just the way they use Dallas Turner, like you said. So I think that's encouraging. That's the thing that if I'm an Alabama fan that I'm, again, I think the thing, if I'm an Alabama fan, the things that I'm most excited about, I think the defense is really good and has potential to keep us in games all year. And I feel like, Roy Dell was a revelation. And if this is more than just a one-time thing, like I want, like, let's ride this guy for a little bit. And again, I'm not saying they're the same person or anything like that, but if we want to keep going back to 2015 blueprint, they figured out after the Ole Miss game and as time went on that they had an incredible running back in Derrick Henry, who they had not been feeding the ball that much before that. And then they rode him all the way down. I don't think that Roy Dell is Derrick Henry. Don't take me out of context here, but I think that that's that's a blueprint. I think that's a potential option for them if they can kind of keep that going. I think that would be encouraging to me. Um, and but I mean, I think that we learn something new about this team every game, and I think that this upcoming game. I'm about to, <coughs> oh, excuse me. It's uh, maybe we can edit that one out, Cody. My disgusting sneeze. Uh, but. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but what I was saying was, I think that this is, you know, I think we learned a lot about Texas. I think we learned a lot in South Florida, but this is, this is something that I, I think this Ole Miss game will tell us even more because I think I would hope by the end of the Ole Miss game, we have a much better sense who the quarterback is moving forward. 
We have a much better sense as to whether they were able to make any adjustments with the offensive line. And we'll be able to see after, you know, having some hiccups against Texas, but I didn't think they played poorly, but some hiccups for sure, how they handle a Wayne Giffen offense in which he is, I think, one of, one of, if not the best play callers in college football. It's what he lives for. He's like somebody who once compared it to me. It's like he just wants to play Madden all day. Like he just wants to dial up exotic play calls to use against Nick, Nick Saban. So he's going to bring it on Saturday. And I'm excited to see what they're able to do to try to stop that. So, you know, I think when we have this conversation in a week from now, you're either going to be like, you know what? South Florida was a blip. Things are on the way up. They found a way to beat Lane Kiffin. They played great. Jalen or Ty is the guy moving forward. You know, this team still has a real shot. Or if they lose to Ole Miss, you know, people are going to be just slamming the panic button. And it's going to be, is this a four or five loss team? You know, that that's, it's going to be a very, very different conversation depending on what happens against Ole Miss. So uh, stay tuned for that, right? Yeah. How, how close are you to the panic button? Uh, I'm hovering. Um, I think, uh, what's it like, you know, we're a couple minutes closer to midnight, right? Is that, is that like a doomsday clock? You know, we're, we're a little bit closer <laughs> there. Um, yeah, I mean the South Florida, like the Texas one, I could kind of write off. I mean, I think we think we all were disappointed by how that played out. And I think it, you know, there were some, some big picture takeaways that, you know, myself and others had South Florida to me is, is more concerning. Um, for a number of reasons. And, you know, I'll just, I don't want to belabor the point here too much, but I, I think that there's, if we, you and I were saying this before the podcast, like the challenge is that we're always going to compare a current team to what we've seen in the past, especially at Alabama. So the standard is always, here's how Nick Saban has previously handled things. Here's how his teams have previously handled things, all that kind of stuff. And losses have been so rare at Alabama that when they do happen, what you expect is a team to come out looking to kick butt the next game. And I remember doing a story about this about a year ago. Mississippi State has been on the receiving end of numerous of those kind of post-Alabama loss butt kickings where they just come in and they're like, we're sending a message to the entire world. We're not dead and we're going to make you feel what we're about to do. Obviously, we didn't see that against South Florida. And that felt like such a game where you do remind the world that they're, you're not dead and you blow them out and you make everybody scared. Uh-oh, we woke up big, bad Alabama. I don't think that's what people are saying at all. I think people are like, oh, this Alabama team is vulnerable. So that's why I am more concerned right now, uh, just because, uh, you know, and I haven't been here for the whole run, but for the long part that I have been, you just don't see Nick Saban-led teams have duds like that against a group of five type opponent. So there's just a lot of there's just a lot of weird stuff there that could make you uh, concerned. Um, and really, I think the thing that would make you feel most optimistic, I don't know that we've seen that much of. Like I love our coworkers, and I think the way that they evaluate recruits is the best in the business. And so you know, I will always keep coming back to the fact that they are number one in the talent composite. They over the last four or five years have compiled the most talent on paper. And that is the reason I keep coming back to having optimism about this team. But at no point this season have I ever felt like what I've seen on the field is the number one most talented team in the country. Yeah. 
No, I, I fully agree with that. I think that, you know, if you really want to take the optimistic view of this, I still think the best version of the offense specifically is still out there. Um, I think the defense is good. I think the defense is fine. I think the defense is going to continue to get better and the defense is going to be, you know, it let's worst case scenario. If they lose four or five games this year, it's not going to be the defense's fault. So like, if you like, you really want to take the optimistic view, you know, the best that this offense can still play. Like, I don't know that we've sniffed it yet. I agree. Um, that and said with sec play coming up, like we need to start seeing it. Right. And, we all have different ideas just based on personnel and, you know, maybe there are things we're missing, right. If we were smarter football minds, we probably wouldn't be working here, but you know, like that's, I don't know. Like I I've got ideas in my head. I know Saban has been very explicit about what he's wanted to see and just, you know, based on that expectation alone, right. Like running it more often than not setting up the play action, dropping back and throwing it when you need to, like we just haven't seen that even that version yet, I think on a consistent basis. And so I think that's the most optimistic view. You know, if we start seeing that against Ole Miss and maybe they got to win a couple rock fights before the offense finally figures itself out, very similar to 2015, even though they were putting up points, even in that lost Ole Miss, um, you know, there's, there is that version out there where they maybe slog through the first couple SEC games before they figured it out and then they take off. But um, you know, like we mentioned on the last pod that lost to Texas, like that's, the margin for error is not there. So like you can't have the slip up against Ole Miss. Yeah. And I, and I agree. I mean, I think we even might've said it before the season started, like it, I don't, I did not expect a team to come out just absolutely dominating, like, you know, some incredible offense. I think we always thought this team was going to probably have some hiccups along the way. It's just that they've been a little worse. I think than we expected, but yeah, I mean, there's plenty of reasons to feel optimistic, like you just said. And I think it's, you know, the number one takeaway from South Florida is they survived, right? And so it's just kind of like the old March Madness, survive in advance. Like, that's all that you have to do. Like, just keep finding a way to win and hope that you're learning a little bit more and more about yourself so that if you are able to make it toward the end of the season and having a shot to be in the SEC championship, that you're in a much better place then. Um, because, you know, there's just, you know, if you're glass half full, right, there's so much room for growth. You know, they have not hit their ceiling yet. So there's a lot of opportunity to be better. And that's, you know, that's the reason to feel, you know, feel like this team could still, you know, be competitive. I left Raymond James Stadium on Saturday um, wanting to speak to a manager because I thought when I was coming down here to cover SEC football that I would leave the rock fights in middle America. Um, but you after do what? You were swindled. <laughs> Maybe it's me. I don't know. Like that's. Maybe I brought it down here and, and life is no longer good because it's me. Um, it, what's what's that Taylor Swift song? It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Yeah, you're, um, the, you're the Alabama anti-hero, Cody. Uh, <laughs> you got to fill that blank space with something else. Um, <laughs> yeah, but hey, like you mentioned, um, you know, it could be a roller coaster, hot and cold ride the rest of the way. Um, and while Alabama entered this season, as they do every year with national championship aspirations, um, if that's not ultimately what happens this season, I think ultimately it could be, it, it could be an entertaining season all the same. Um, you know, and I know that that's not what people probably want to hear because that's probably going to mean a couple of losses that they weren't ready for. But, um, you know, from our perspective, it, I, it could be kind of fun. I don't know. Like there's, there's, there's a lot of different ways we can look at this. Um, we're only three weeks in, it's been a very entertaining first three weeks. Um, 
you know, but obviously we're probably going to adjust the lens and focus on how we kind of view this team and what the expectations are um, probably week to week. Um, that's really, John, I, I think, I think we kind of hit on everything. Is there anything else you wanted to get to or any final thoughts before we sign off here? No, I think, I think, I think it's a good, good spot to leave it at. Um, so we'll have a lot more uh, from Nick Saban all week. Bam at 24 seven. We'll break down the game later on in the week. Um, so Lots more to come. Big week. You know, it's a it's a really big, it was going to be a big week even, you know, without all of this. But I think the stakes of this game have, have certainly been raised uh, just based on what we've seen and how important a win against Ole Miss is going to be. Yeah, um, it'll be interesting. It'll be, you know, interesting from the Alabama angle. And then obviously the Ole Miss angle with Lane Kiffin and Pete Golding on the other side. Um, going to make things all the more interesting. Like John said, be sure to um subscribe to bama 247 and 247 sports guys i said this on the last show i'm going to say it again here you can get a subscription for a dollar a month to start then just 10 bucks a month thereafter for the best coverage of your favorite college football team take advantage of that especially if you're an alabama fan um in the meantime before we come back later this week be sure to rate and review this show wherever you listen to your podcast apple spotify even our bama 247 youtube page be sure to go like and subscribe there if you haven't already um john i appreciate you jumping on with me uh kind of a day later because of the travel uh we'll get this up on monday even though we're recording it on a sunday but that is all we've got today guys in the uh spirit of our taylor swift themed ending here uh maybe we'll see uh, alabama shake this off get rid of some of that bad blood and uh write a love story against Ole miss on the field this coming saturday was that too cheesy it might have been but that's all we got today for this episode guys appreciate y'all listening we will talk again Sunday after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. CBS season finale Sunday after the Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.